Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, everyone. Glad that you're here today. I'm Pastor Carly, and this is my husband, Mike. And we are excited to be with you today as we dive into another psalm. As we begin today, I want to share with you one of my favorite stories from one of my role models in ministry. Her name is Danielle Strickland, and she is a social justice advocate, pastor. She's just incredible. And one of my favorite stories comes from her ministry in Vancouver, British Columbia. She was ministering in the poorest postal code in all of Canada, and she was at a mission training center in probably the roughest part of town. I mean, in this eight-mile radius that surrounded her mission training center, there were 7,000 injecting drug users. So you can picture this kind of community. It was really, really full of brokenness. And There were many different interns and volunteers that were coming to be a part of the Mission Training Center and serve in that community. And a couple uh, met there, two volunteers, they fell in love, and they decided that they wanted to get married right where they met. And they met in this notorious alley, which people refer to as Blood Alley. I mean, it was full of needles, it smelled like urine. You get the picture. And Danielle, she was like, oh, guys, I don't know if that's a really good idea to get married in Blood Alley, but they were set on it. So come the day of the wedding, they rolled out a red carpet down Blood Alley. They had a string quartet there, and then they had this sweet little flower girl going through the city, throwing petals and saying, there's a wedding. There's a wedding. You're invited. Come join us. There's a wedding. You're invited. And so the alley was filled with people from all sorts of different walks of life. People on the streets were crowded in going, what in the world is going on in the neighborhood today? And so the ceremony started, and right when they were in the middle of the sacred vows, from behind them, there was a loud creak. The dumpster behind them had opened. And a man with eyes this wide took in the scene, said something that I cannot say in church, and then just went right back down to the dumpster. Creak. So they're used to the neighborhood, right? So they're like, okay. And then they just proceeded to finish the ceremony. Well, afterward, they wanted to invite everyone that wanted to come to the reception. So they were like, come join us. There's free food. It's a party. You're invited. You're invited. And so everyone started trickling out and going into the mission training center for this party. And as everyone was leaving, Danielle thought, I'm going back to the dumpster. So she went and knocked on the dumpster. The man opened his door. And she said, hey, I just want you to know that what you saw today, this is real. This is not just some trip, but this is real. And you are invited. You are invited. And you know what? I believe that is the heart of God. 
He just proclaims to everyone in the world, you are invited. He proclaims to us. He proclaims to the people on the fringes. He proclaims to every single person in the world, you are invited to know this love, this grace found in Jesus. You are invited. There's no one that's not on the guest list. We are all invited. And as we dive into the psalm today, we're going to be in Psalm 68. We really see the heart of God, that everyone is invited to the party. Everyone is valued, seen, and known. So let's start reading in Psalm 68, 4 together. The psalmist David writes this. He says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook. The heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, God, you provided for the poor. The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. Kings and armies flee in haste, and the women at home divide the plunder. Even while you sleep among the sheep pens, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow fallen on Mount Zalman. So this psalm paints a picture of this incredible conquering king, our God, but also our God who has a heart for the vulnerable and for the weak. And yet I want to give us a little bit of the backstory here so that we understand how this psalm came to be and why David and the people are proclaiming it. So over 500 years before this psalm was written, the people of Israel were in captivity. They were slaves in Egypt. And they were oppressed. They were treated unjustly. They were slaves. And yet God delivered them and brought them out of slavery into freedom and justice. He brought them out into what he was called the promised land. And now when they were journeying to the promised land, they Got a little lost for a while, got a little stuck in rebellion, but God stuck with them anyway. And then they went into the promised land, but unfortunately there were a lot of people there that weren't so happy that they were there. So there was a lot of conflict and turmoil in that time. Then we turn the page of history again and we get even closer to the time that this psalm was written. And the people of Israel have had major battles with the Philistines. Several thousand Israelite lives were lost. And... The Ark of the Covenant was stolen from them. Now in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was considered to be the dwelling place of God. And so they were devastated. They felt incredibly powerless because they believed that the very presence of God had been ripped away from them. And they did not know what to do. But once again, as we turn the page in history again, we get to where this psalm is being proclaimed because the people have gotten the Ark of the Covenant back. 
And they are elated. They are over the moon. And King David and the people have decided to take the Ark of the Covenant up to the city of Jerusalem. And they are throwing a party. I mean, this is a grand parade of God. Can you picture it? There's bubble machines. And there's balloons. And the air smells like churros and cotton candy. I mean, can it get any better? They are like, celebrate good times. Come on. I mean, they are excited. They are thrilled because God has answered their prayer. And in the midst of this grand parade, this grand processional, is when this psalm was being proclaimed. They were giving thanks to God for his faithfulness in the past and reflecting on his character as they journeyed up to Jerusalem in this parade. And so as we think about this then today, we have to realize and stop and go, wow, what can we learn about the heart of God in celebration today? I mean, these people had been in a very powerless position, and so they were just giving thanks that God always uses his power to lift up the powerless. Let's read this. Let's unpack the scripture. In verse 5, we read that God is a father to the fatherless. God is a defender of widows. These are two people groups that were incredibly vulnerable. They had no covering. They had no one to provide for them. And yet God is the father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows, of some of the most vulnerable. Verse 6 says, He sets the lonely in families. That language can be a little confusing, so the Amplified Version makes it a little more clear and says, makes a home for the lonely. So he brings people in isolation into relationship. He leads out the prisoners with singing, it says in verse 6, and this is a connection and a reflection on the people's time in Egypt when they were enslaved. And so he led forth the prisoners with singing into freedom. God refreshes the weary inheritance, it says. The inheritance brought about a secure future for people. Inheritances were a big deal in the ancient world. And so the weary inheritance was refreshed. The people had hope for their future. God provides for the poor. And then God gathers a mighty throng of women who proclaim the word of the Lord. Throng, another word for throng, translated can be army. So there's an army of women who are proclaiming the word of the Lord. And in, ancient, in the ancient world, women were like the bottom of the barrel. Their voices were not valued. But here, there is a mighty army of women proclaiming the word of the Lord? I mean, hello, that's amazing. I can get pumped about that, right? But seriously, God, is, we just see his heart for the vulnerable and for the weak. And we realize in this particular passage that God always uses his power to lift up the powerless. God always uses his power to lift up the powerless. Amen. And we see that David, he is following in the footsteps of his God. He is following in this mighty processional of God, the parade of God who is lifting up the powerless. And unfortunately, though, as we will see as we unpack this story today, David, he ends up deciding that he wants to be the grand marshal of his own parade. 
see, he gets stuck in a power struggle. He gets stuck in this internal tug of war with one side that pulls over here saying, use your power to lift up the powerless. And this other side over here saying, use your power to lift up yourself. Promote, uh, promote others over here. Promote self over here. And he gets stuck in this internal tug of war, this power struggle. And here's the thing. We do too. We get stuck in that same power struggle. See, I believe we have good intentions. I believe that we really do want to see the goodness of God reign on earth. I believe that we all want to see peace. We all want to know that there are, there are children that are not going hungry. I mean, we don't want children to go, grow hungry. We don't want children to be cold and families to be cold on the streets in December when the snow is falling. We want for people to be treated with dignity and respect. We do. We have good intentions. We get behind causes and we can like them on Facebook, but that is so different than serving someone face to face. It's a whole different ball game to be in relationship with people who are different than us, to listen to them, to serve them, and to love them well. And that's where we get stuck in the power struggle. That's where I get stuck in the power struggle. Because I do want to see the restoration of God in the world. I want to see the grand parade of God weaving through our streets, but I want my own comfort. I want to make sure that I am okay and safe. I don't want to create any awkwardness, and I do not want to feel inadequate. I mean, I have my preconceived notions, and I have my full schedule, right? That's where I get stuck in the power struggle. And I would imagine I'm not alone in that. And before we know it, we're lost in the crowd. The parade is a mile away. The balloons have faded. The vibrancy is gone. The music is no longer able to be heard and the confetti has fallen to the ground and we go, how did we get here? How did we get here? And you know, I think King David, he came to the point where he had that same question. I mean, everything started out really great, actually. I mean, this, this grand parade of God, we read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and in chapter 9, it still appears that David is following in the footsteps of God, using his power to lift up the powerless. See, he finds out that his best friend's son is alive. His best friend was Jonathan. Jonathan had passed, but he had a son named Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast, right? Mephibosheth. He has a son named Mephibosheth who is still alive but he has been in hiding. Because here's the thing, Jonathan, his father was Saul, 
who was the king before David. And so Saul and Jonathan had both, had both been killed, had both passed away. And so Mephibosheth, he went into hiding because he thought that David's regime may kill him because he could have been a threat to the throne. Also, we know from scripture that Mephibosheth was crippled in both of his feet. And so he couldn't have defended himself. He was not valued in that society where men were celebrated for their physical brawn and their warrior-like attributes. And so he had been in hiding, in isolation. But when David found out that he was alive, he summoned him and he brought him in. And we read in, in scripture that, that David gave him all the land back that was his family's, restored his inheritance, and then here's my favorite part. He invites Mephibosheth to sit at the king's table. He always had a place at the table like one of the king's sons. Wow. Mephibosheth, who had been tossed aside, who had put himself in isolation, who wasn't valued by society because of his attributes. He was embraced by David. He uses, used his power to lift up the powerless and bring him in. So what moved him to do this for Mephibosheth? I believe that it was relationship. He knew Mephibosheth as a person. He knew him as his best friend's son. So he saw him not as a category, but as a person, a beloved person. The close proximity caused him to bring him in. Close proximity. Close proximity breaks down power, prejudice, prominence, and pride. Close proximity breaks down power, prejudice, prominence, and pride. But the opposite is true as well. That distance creates division and detachment. And then detachment creates dehumanization. Detachment perpetuates dehumanization. And we see this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, just two chapters after he, David so well treated Mephibosheth and invited him to the table, we see the table's turn. David is on his grandiose rooftop palace area. Maybe he even has a pool. <laughs> And he is just looking over the expanse of this city that he gets to rule over. All these other small buildings surrounding his grand palace. And there's a woman bathing on a rooftop nearby. And he looks and he says, I want her. So he sends his messengers to her home to retrieve her, probably without her consent, and brings her to the palace. She ends up getting pregnant. And then he's going, oh my word, I'm in such a mess. What am I going to do now? So he sends her husband to the front lines of the army where he is killed. And now... He kind of looks like a hero because he's got this widowed pregnant lady, this 
who, whose husband just passed away in the war and he's bringing her in. He looks like such a hero. But inside, I mean, this was a mess. He had abused his power for his own selfish gain. He had totally missed the grand parade of God. He was not following in the footsteps of God. He was following his own selfish desires. And so Nathan, this prophet, is sent to confront him on his, on his sin and his abuse of power and his corruption. And as he realizes the gravity of his choices and how he's abused his power, he goes, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I get from here to here? How did I get here? Now what do I do to get out? And we read his confession in, in Psalm 51. The whole chapter is full of his confession, just crying out to God for forgiveness. But we're going to read verses 10 through 12. It says this, create in me, this is David just crying out, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit from within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant within me a willing heart to sustain me. See, he realizes in the gravity of the situation, in the depth of his sin and selfishness, that he is in great need of forgiveness and restoration. He is crying out to God to create in him a pure heart. He knows he cannot do this on his own. And so he moves into close proximity to the heart of God, which is the only place where restoration and redemption and reconciliation is possible. He moves to be in close proximity to the heart of God. And as we, as we talked about earlier, close proximity breaks down power, prejudice, prominence, and pride. And so today... As we reflect on how we have utilized what we have been given, either for others or for selfish gain, we may today feel like David, needing to take a posture of confession, needing to ask God to help us break down our power, our prejudice, our prominence, and our pride. We may be crying out to God and saying, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. I have missed it as I've tried to go my own way, but restore it to me, oh God. Because we do miss the joy that God has for us. We miss the parade. When we are not in close proximity to the heart of God. But the good thing is, the good news is, no matter where we find ourselves today, there is a knock on the dumpster of our lives. And God is saying, this is real. You are invited. 
you are not too far gone. No matter what your, where your selfishness has taken you, you are not too far gone from my forgiveness and my grace and my redemption. God always uses his power to lift up the powerless and we know that and we see that in the person of Jesus who was God in flesh who humbled himself enough to come down to earth to save us and lift us up in the midst of our powerlessness. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, while we were still in the dumpster, Christ has died for us. And so today, God is wanting to meet us right in the midst of our feelings of powerlessness and weakness and lift us up. Lift us out of the muck and the mire and the grime. And when we actually realize the depths of our powerlessness, we have such a change of perspective on power. And we have such an incredible sense of gratitude because we know that we have been saved by that invitation of God, so anyone else can be too. See, when we're moved into this close proximity relationship with God, then we are moved to live in close proximity with others in the world around us. Close proximity to God and close proximity to others are integral in becoming a part of the parade of God and revealing the color and the vibrancy of God's grand parade in the world around us. See, if I were standing over here and I saw this muck in the mire and I really wanted to see the grand parade of God revealed, I really wanted to be a part of it, I couldn't really do anything if I were standing over here. I could have good intention. I could really, really want to try to get that gunk off of there, but I can't do anything from over here. But when I am in close proximity, when I am here, I can reveal, I can, God can use me to be a part of his grand display in the world and revealing his goodness to others. We are all invited to take a step closer and be in close proximity to the heart of God and the heart of people and be a part of that grand parade. One of my favorite authors, his name is Bob Goff. Many of you have probably heard of him and read his books. And he tells this incredible story that I want to share with you today. He says, for the last 22 years, we've put on a New Year's Day parade to celebrate our neighbors. Our parade starts at the cul-de-sac at the end of our block and ends at our front yard. Our whole family wakes up early every year and we blow up over a thousand helium balloons. We're the reason there's a helium shortage. Before we start taking the balloons out of the house, we give thanks for our neighbors and for the privilege of doing life with them. Our block only has 20 houses if you count both sides, so our parade is not a long one. Our first year, there were only eight of us standing at the beginning of the parade route. We stood together at the end of the cul-de-sac trying to look like a parade. Someone said, go! And we started walking down the street, waving to the six neighbors who were watching. Now there are probably four or 500 people who come each year. Kids pull wagons full of stuffed animals and pet goldfish. There are no fancy floats, but bicycles with baseball cards in the spokes are the norm. Here's why we do it. We can't love people we don't know. 
and you can't either. A week before our parade each year, we knock on a few of our neighbors' front doors and pick a grand marshal and a queen from among them. Being picked as the queen is a big deal in our neighborhood. Carol got the nod one year. A decade later, people still bowed to Carol when they saw her at the corner market and called her, Your Majesty. One year, because of the battle of cancer raging inside Carol, she didn't think she'd be able to walk the parade route. I have an old Harley Davidson motorcycle with a sidecar, so that year I put Carol in the sidecar and gave her a ride. She was the hit of the parade because all of the neighbors knew about the cancer that she had been staring down. Carol, elegant as always, waved to everyone and they waved back. Just before we got to the end of the parade route, Carol turned to me and took a deep, thought-filled breath and said, you know, Bob, I'm really going to miss this parade. I looked at my neighbor in the sidecar next to me and said, me too, Carol, me too. Even as I did, I asked God if he would let Carol have at least one more parade with us. Seven months later, our family had just returned from a trip out of the country when we got news that Carol had gone back into the hospital for another operation. We jumped into the car and hurried to be with her. We moved quickly down the hall and turned into Carol's room just as the doctor was leaving. A somber stillness filled the room as we entered. Carol was propped up in her bed by pillows. Her head was leaned back toward the ceiling and her eyes were closed and her hands were folded. The doctor had just told Carol that she was going to die. We sat on the bed together, had a good cry, and then we talked about balloons and parades and eternity and Jesus. On New Year's Day, Carol was clinging to life by a few threads and was far too weak to get out of bed. She'd made it to the day of the parade she had once presided over as queen. And this was an ambition, I think, that had sustained her during her last months of her courageous battle. Just before the parade started, my sons went across the street and carried Carol from her bedroom to a chair they'd placed in the front of her living room window facing the street. Carol could hear the music and knew that the parade was coming soon, but she couldn't see past the corner of her window. What she didn't know was that we'd changed the parade route. And within a few minutes, all 500 people walked through her front yard. I sat next to Carol, holding her hand as hundreds of friends and neighbors walked up to her window, pressed their noses against it, waved to her, and bounced balloons. As they did, through her tears, Carol lifted a weak hand slowly to her mouth and blew each of them kisses goodbye. And a few days later, Jesus lifted Carol up to heaven. It would be her second parade of the week. I don't know if the streets of heaven are paved in gold, but I'm kind of hoping that they're lined with balloons. And at the end of the parade, I bet we'll find Jesus blowing us kisses, rubbing our noses, and welcoming us to our next neighborhood. So I have to ask you today, who are the carols in your life? Who are the people in your life that need to be carried forward? Who are the people in your life that you just need to hold hands with them as they go through this particular chapter of their lives? Who is it in your neighborhood or maybe the neighborhood across the tracks that needs to know that they are seen, known, loved, and valued? 
How is God inviting you today to divert your parade route so that you can interact with people who are different than you and people who may need to hear the good news of Jesus? I know there are several stories of diverted parade routes, and I'm so thankful for many of them. I'm so thankful for a bus driver in Longview, Washington, who drove this little church bus to the housing projects and would pick up kids, including my dad, who was not, a, not raised in a Christian home, who was in the depths of poverty. And, and he went to church every week because someone chose to drive that little bus down and pick the kids up. A diverted parade route. There are many diverted parade route stories right here in our community. I mean, I loved hearing today from Nancy about her her refugee ministry, and and what God is doing through that. There are people in our church that are connecting with homeless here in our community. We are even connected to a, a ministry that connects with foster care families and supports them and the children. Even our garden ministry, which we talked about earlier today, helps bring food to those that are hungry in our community. And there's a family in our church, Pete and Heidi Hartman and their family, you may know them. They go every single Christmas Eve to a restaurant and throw the waiter or waitress a party. Instead of going to be served, they go and serve this person in need who is having to work on Christmas Eve. I just love it. I know there are teachers throughout this room that pour into the kids that are coming from broken families and are coming with empty tummies to school. I mean, the stories of redemption and the parade of God within our community, I mean, we could go on and on and we can celebrate that. And we should celebrate that. But today, I also believe that no matter where we find ourselves, that God is inviting each of us, myself included, to take a step closer so that we can be in closer proximity with the hearts of people. That's our invitation today. To take a step closer and live in close proximity. Here at Eagle Naz, we have many opportunities that as you're, as you're sifting through this and you're wondering how, how maybe God would move you to respond, we have many opportunities for you right here in our church. And so if you're interested in getting connected to a ministry so that you can live in close proximity with people who are in need, then we would love to give you more information on that. You can get out your I'm in card, fill out your information, and maybe today you want to learn more about our ministry to the homeless. We are in partnership with the Boise Rescue Mission, and so today if you want to write in your I'm in card, just write the word homeless on the bottom. We'll get you more information. Maybe others of you are interested in getting more information about the refugee ministry that Nancy talked about. And maybe you are that family that can be the new tutoring family. So maybe you write down on your, on your IMIN card, refugees. As I mentioned earlier, we're connected to a, an organization that, that does ministry to and for the, the foster care families in our community. So maybe you write down foster care. And lastly, Judy Norquist this fall is taking a group of women from Eagle Nazarene Church to Tijuana, Mexico to minister to the women there in the red light district. And so if you're interested in gaining more information about that trip, you can write down Mexico. But I do believe that God is stirring in our hearts today. 
Whether it's one of these that you want to write on the card or whether it's a name of an individual or a people group, I do believe that God is stirring in each of us and inviting us to take a step closer and really be part of the grand processional of God in the world. So the band is going to sing a song and lead us in this time, but, but please take the posture that you need to take in order to respond to what the Lord is stirring in your heart today.